This last year, Angie and I uh, have been invited to a lot of different churches, leadership forums, groups, and sometimes, often, they'll give us a subject that they want us to address. And the one subject that has regularly come round that they've asked us to speak on is this subject, this issue of generosity. And the reason for that is because this house, this church, this community called C3 has a reputation of being generous. And I think that's a really good reputation. And that's a reputation I don't want us to ever lose. And so today, under the title, I guess, of the journey of generosity, I want to share with you some of the things we've been sharing as we've been going around. Now, I usually start by saying this, relax, relax, take a breath in and relax, because generosity is not all about money. The reason I showed you that clip was because that lady at 98 was demonstrating a generosity in the giving of her time and the skill that she had in order to help somebody else. So usually I start by saying, relax, generosity is not all about money. Because in most places, people start to tighten up when you talk about money. But it's about our time, because for many of you, the most precious commodity you have is your time. It is about the gifts that we have. The talents that we have, we've all been given some gift from God and it's how you use them in order to serve others and make this world a better place. So generosity is not just about what we do with our money, but we describe it here. This is why we have a stewardship ministry. It's how we steward, it's how we use our time, our talents and indeed our treasures. You and I know you can serve with a generous spirit or with a begrudging spirit. Take the word spirit out and make it attitude. You can serve, you can do your job with a generous attitude or with a begrudging attitude. And you know the difference when you've encountered it. Let me read to you a verse from the book of Matthew. It says this, and I'll explain what this verse means because it's a little bit of an unusual verse. It says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your body will be full of darkness. What, what does that mean? Well, the term your eye is good is a Jewish Hebrew idiom for generosity. And basically what that verse is saying this, the eyes are the window to your body. You look into a person through their eyes. You see something about them, whether they're full of light or darkness. And the Jewish idiom that's used here basically is generous. If your eye is generous, if you're going around looking with your eyes, how can I meet a need? It lights up your body. Whereas the little phrase there that's used, but if your eye is bad, that phrase is if your eye is selfish. So if you view the world all through me, 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 guess what? 
Your, eye, your life is darkened. Your body is darkened. It's all about you. And you are not a big enough reason to live for. And so it darkens your soul. If your eye is generous, you look at things thinking, how can I meet a need? Whereas if your eye is bad, literally, it's, your eye is selfish. This week, we were at the hospital with my mum, and we talked to one of the sisters who was a beautiful woman, the way she talked in her care. But she said one of the things she was trying to do with her staff was get them to use their eyes in looking at people because when you look at people, you show you value them and they can see my attention is on you. Don't avoid eye contact. It reveals something of you. Earlier, or rather towards the end of, of last year, Angie and I went to Chicago to Willow Creek to a, a leadership intensive week. And we flew with a, a particular airline. I won't tell you who they were, but their initials were AA. And as we were flying with them, we, we got to the airport here in Heathrow, I think it was. And as we walked in, the lady that was at the, the, the stand didn't even look up. And she just shouted, next. No eye contact. No general, next. We walked up. said, how many bags? said, two. He put them on, weighed them, just on the edge. That was my wife's. I only had the hand luggage left. So we put them on. She said, uh, passports. Now at that point, she had to look up. I am persuaded when I gave her my passport that she snarled at me. She opened it and I saw her lip kind of curl. Put it down. Said, gate, whatever. Next. When we were coming back, we came via Chicago, obviously. So we flew into we got there early, which I like to do. My family mock me, but I like to get my money out at Stansted for the uh, Dartford Tunnel. I just want to be early. And so we were, we were the first ones there. Walked in, same airline, AA. A guy waits, was waiting in the foyer area. Where, Hello, sir. Are you priority boarding, whatever the phrase was? No, we're just early. Never mind. Come this way anyway. And he took our bags. He took them to the conveyor belt, he put them on, gave our passports in. The lady looked at us and said, have you had a good time in Chicago, sir? So we've had a great time, thank you. She said, passports, please. Gave her the passport. She opened my passport, she looked at it, she looked at me, and she smiled, and she said, wow, you changed. <laughs> now, I took that as to say, you look better now than you did them. That's the way I interpreted her, her little statements. You look better now than you did then. I said, thank you. She said, well, you have a great flight. and Thank you for flying with AA. Guess what? The UK side was with a mean spirit. The US side was with a generous spirit. I felt like she wanted us there. I felt like we were valued. Her eyes, they made eye contact. There was a generous spirit. So it's not just about money, it's about the attitude with the way we do things. It's about the use of our time in our conference here that we had back in November, the GLS, the Global Leadership Summit, which we're doing again and everyone must come to it. It's some of the best teaching on this planet in regards to leadership. One of the guys that Ange invited along to it is a guy called Neil Prem and he, he sent a uh, an email after this event to Anne saying this. He's the head of enterprise engagement for his company. He said, thanks so much 
for inviting me to the GLS on Saturday. I loved every moment and my mind is still buzzing. It was wonderful to see your amazing facility and to meet some of your incredible volunteers. Then he adds this, or should I call them smilers? I remember driving up at the GLS on that Friday, Saturday. It was pouring with rain. I came up, Andrew was with me. I pressed my window down because there was a guy, one of our guys volunteering, standing there. He had his hood up, he had his head down. And, and we, we drove off, I stopped my car. He looked in, it's one of our members here. He looked in, saw it was me, saw uh, it was raining. I saw him with his, head, his cover. I said, hi, he said, hi. He said, sorry, can't let you in. Uh, and then he looked again. He said, this is only for the elderly, the infirm, and the disabled, this car park. And then he added, but I think you qualify. <laughs> that guy's no longer a member. <laughs> he laughed, we laughed. I drove on the pavement, knocked him over, and we left him. <laughs> I thought, though, what a great attitude. That guy, I won't, won't name him, he has a busy life, busy family, high power position that he's in in his job. And there he was, with a smile and with a bit of humor, standing on the gate, receiving people and welcoming them. That, my friends, is generosity. So it's not all about money. Relax. However, it's certainly not less than how we handle and use our money. Stay relaxed. Because we don't mind talking about money here, do we? So, hello? Stay relaxed. But in the time that I've got left, I just want to give you three principles. So it's not all about money, but it is including money. And I'm not going to shy away from this. As to why it includes our money. And then I'll land it with looking at some very practical things for us. Number one. Money and the heart are inextricably linked. What you do with your money will affect the condition of your heart. How you use your money reveals where your passions lie and indeed it shapes your passions. Look at this verse in Proverbs. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. If we can keep our hearts pure, our motives, our attitude, our inner desires healthy in regard to money, it will affect every single part of your life. These are the words of Jesus. Listen to this in your notes here. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That verse was a revelation for me a number of years ago. In case you don't know, we are still in a seven million pound building program. And a lady came to me one day and she said to me, I'm not going to give to the vision offering. She was quite proud about it. Because my heart isn't in that building. And I remember saying to her, unless you give to the vision offering, your heart will never be in it. Because it's not that you first have a heart and then you give. It's that you give and then your heart follows where you've given to. This week, as I say, we've been back in the Wirral. I drove past 
our first house that we bought when we were mere babes. We got the biggest mortgage we could possibly give on the salary that I was on. We included Angie's grant from university. And we bought that three-bedroom semi with a massive garden that overlooked some playing fields. And we bought it for £22,500. We sold it for £55,500 a number of years later when we moved here to Cambridge. And I drove past and I thought, I wonder what they're worth now. So I googled it, the Jones and Chapman, because there was some for sale, just £180,000. You know why I did that? Because I put some of my treasure in that. And suddenly, my heart, my attention, my devotion, my inquiry was following where I put my heart. I was never bothered about whether house prices were going up or down or staying the same when it was my mum and dad paying the mortgage and it was their property and I just lived there free of charge. Never had so much disposable income as that time. And I was there not even concerned the property market. Guess what? Your heart follows your treasure. And your heart and the way you use your money are inextricably linked. Number two, generosity should be encouraged because, and I want you to hear this, and we've spoken about it, but I have to test myself on this and come back to it, because we want something for you not from you. Church leaders forums all over. I'm going to be saying this in a few weeks' time, the Ground Level Leaders Conference. We've been saying this all over. I say this to leaders. I said it in Derby to a group of leaders and watch the room go quiet. I quite enjoy it nowadays. I said, if the reason you want to grow a generous culture in your church is simply to raise finance, though it's a valid reason, it's far from the best reason. It's not about what we get from you. It's what we want for you. The old cliche says it like this. Giving is not God's way of raising finance. It's his way of raising disciples. And money is a big deal in regard to raising disciples. Angela, you cannot, I cannot help to disciple you into the fullness of stature of Christ, of being Christ-like, without being willing to talk to her about money. I just, she can't grow. She can't be all she is. Oh, it's easy sometimes. Time and talents, which you've got in abundance. Treasure you may not feel you've got. But I have to address it if I'm to raise her and help her grow as a disciple, which is what we're all about. Jesus said it in this way. No one can serve two masters. Why did he choose this analogy, this reference? Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And our goal, and we can't shirk this responsibility. I, uh, honest, I feel the pressure of it. I can't shirk as an Englishman, because I am English, although first I'm a kingdom man, I hope talking about money if I'm truly to make disciples. One day, I'm going to stand before God. And because of my responsibility as a leader, he's going to ask me, what did you do in order to raise disciples? 
And maybe one of the questions will be, what did you talk about? Did you talk about money? Because you can't serve both God and money. So I have to speak about it. We are passionate and intentional about growing a culture of generosity because we are committed to making disciples. Now I know over the years, because we've been here 24 years now, over the years when we talked about money, some people have left this church because they didn't like the fact that we talked about it. You know, the bravado in me wants to say, well, tough. The pastor heart in me says, oh, come on. Come on. One guy I sat with, <laughs> he said, I'm leaving this church because you're always talking about money. He didn't talk like that. I'm just putting that voice on. You're always talking about money. And I remember saying to him, so, how often do you talk in your family about money? And it was one of those kind of squirmy moments. I said, because I'll tell you how often we talk about it every single day. So we talked last night. Actually, we maybe haven't yet talked about money today. Last night, should we go out for lunch? Should we get a hot chicken from Tesco's? Oh, it's cheaper from, from Tesco's to get a hot chicken. We'll just have chicken and salad because it's cheaper. Or we're looking at where should we go and do this. We look at the prices. Should we book that place or this place? We're talking, there's hardly a day goes by in our family when we don't talk about money. So this guy said, so you mean if I mention it once a week, every Sunday, you think, well, always talking about money? No, no, no. No, not at all. And I want to say this, and I've said this to, to, church, to churches all over the place. Free your leaders. Set them free by refusing to say, we always talk about money here. Set them free by, rather than saying to them, oh, 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 oh you're, you're after, I've heard this said in some churches, they're after our money. Most church leaders aren't. I said most because I'm sure there are some there are. In fact, if any of you subscribe to Sky TV, you can watch some. <laughs> they're after your money, guys. Don't send your green, don't send your money for the guy's green handkerchief that he's wiped his brow with to heal you for $70. It probably won't help. You need a white one. <laughs> Honestly, you don't. In other words, if I don't talk about it, someone somewhere is talking about it, and you'll listen to them maybe, and some people will get trapped by charlatans. They're rare. They're not everywhere. And if I can say this, we've been here 24 years. 24 years. We've been in ministry this year. Whatever in ministry means. I know we're all in ministry. We've been leading a church for 30 years. I started when I was seven. And, and we, we've been doing this forever. I can ruin what the trust that we've built, but I know this. There's this immense of trust because of the long haul. And I'd rather you hear about money from me who you can trust than some oddbod on one of the TV channels. Don't send your money. You'll only be $70. Sorry to use dollars, but you know what I mean. Worse off. We had a guy come into us a few years ago, and I, and I will invite guys to speak on this subject, but I won't outsource it to them because I'd rather you hear my voice. Jesus said this, didn't he? My sheep hear my voice. Now, I know he's the chief shepherd, okay? I'm just an under-shepherd. But I want you to hear about these things from my voice. 
It's much better hearing it from an ex-scouser who you can trust, because I've got a lovely voice, okay, that you can trust than someone else who just we import to come in. Now, this guy, I remember him saying to me, he says, there are some things I can say to your church about money that are difficult for you to say. And I, I nodded my head and I said, yes, I won't say his name. Yeah, that's good. And then I walked away and I thought, if that's true, it's wrong. If, that, if I can't say it, after long-haul, trustworthy leadership, who can say it? And I want to say to you, generosity in regard to money affects every part of your life. And it's a constant battle with all that we are bombarded with, day in, day out, what we need. No, 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 come on. Hear my voice. Hear my voice. Generosity should be encouraged because we want something for you, not for you. And the for you that we want is that you will grow up into Christ's likeness, that you will be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's what we want for you. That's what we're all, we are thrilled when people make a decision for Jesus. We must never lose sight of reaching lost people. We must never become all about us and our, and, and our priorities. But let me say this, that's not the end of the mission. The mission is discipleship. Go and make disciples. Discipleship is the mission. That's what we're about. And so if that includes getting the grips of unrighteous mammon off us, we have to address it and keep coming back to it. And I have to come back, my heart to, to say, Lord, I want my heart to be pure. Did this this morning again as I'm uh, shaving my head. I looked in the mirror and I said, Lord, I just want to be able to say it with integrity. With integrity, I want something for you, not from you. Christ-likeness, holiness. You can't grow up without it. Number three. This third point I got from Tim Keller, who's the pastor of uh, Redeemer City Church, I think they call it, in New York. He's been um, equated with a, a modern-day C.S. Lewis. He's retiring very soon. I doubt he'll retire, but he's, he's stepping down from leading his church. And I heard him speak on this, so it must be right. So I want to say to you what he said. This, number three. The gospel and radical, generous giving go together. And then he rooted it into this passage that I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 20. This is Acts chapter 20 when the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, where we get a lot of our church practice from today, he's about to leave these Ephesians. The Ephesians he's poured his life into. And he's never going to see them again. These are his last words. Guess what? You're going to use choice words. I'm never going to see you. I need to get this over to you. This is what he says to them, Acts 20, 25. He says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. Savage wolves will come, he says. Even of your own number, men will arise. So be on your guard. Never, uh, remember that for three years I never stopped warning you day and night. Now, verse 32, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, 
which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. That means set apart for God. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself when he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I want you to notice is what he does. He says, guys, I'm going. You won't see me again. I want to commit you to the word of his grace, the gospel, the word of grace that has saved you and given you inheritance. In other words, he says, never forget the gospel. And then he doesn't say, oh, and on another matter. Then he says, and I've not coveted anything amongst you. I've been here working hard and I want you to be generous to the needy and poor. And remember, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I remember one Christmas when we were back in the world, we were giving out, we were receiving presents after presents from our family. And Josh, our son, who's a grown man now, he was about seven years of age. And he's receiving all these gifts. And I remember saying, guys, this is so much. And you're trying to teach your kids not to be selfish, aren't you? I said, come on, why don't we give our presents? Because it's more blessed to give. These are the words of Jesus that Paul uses. It's more blessed to give. You're happier if you give than if you receive. And remember it kind of going quiet for a moment and Josh looking up and saying, that's in the Bible, isn't it, Dad? And I was so proud. He knew that was in the Bible. I said, yes, Josh. And then he said, I'm not sure I agree. <laughs> and I think a little child was, off, was being very honest where sometimes we feel the same. Is there? Some Christmases, I've watched the face of my wife, Ange, as she's given the presents. And I'll tell you this. The joy on her face, when she gets them something that they're receiving, that she knows they love, is greater than the joy on her face when I give her her gift yeah. of a hoover. <laughs> I'm joking. Never given her a hoover. I wouldn't dare. Or Jim Pass, something like that, you know. <laughs> which we've talked about. The joy in her face as she gives is more than when she receives. Just pause and watch. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Go on. I dare you. Test God in this. So the Apostle Paul says, don't forget the gospel. And if you don't forget the gospel, you live a radical, generous lives. In case you don't know, here in this church, and this is what's in your notes here, we haven't announced this, but we've been doing this little framework as we've sought to inculcate this into our DNA. We've been preaching about giving. And that's been mainly to do with the heart and how giving affects the vision. We describe our vision as reaching and shaping a generation with the message and cause of Christ. But we know preaching, which is inspirational, it's the stuff I love. I love to just inspire. Come on, think bigger. See the bigger picture. But we know that we have to break that down into teaching and make it very practical steps. So we teach very clearly here how to cope with 
the money that you have. It comes down to basically give, spend, save. That's the framework that we think of. But giving comes first, not last. We encourage that people, if you don't know this, should give 10% of their income. That's the very first fruits. Not what's left over, but the first fruits of all God has given you. You will never lack if you honour God first with your first fruits. And we encourage, we teach, give that to the local church. Take your sticky little controlling fingers off it and give it. And you'll be blessed. And we looked to help people who are struggling through our CAP initiatives, to help people who are stable. That is, your money comes in, your money goes out, but if anything goes wrong, you're in trouble. That's some of you. We want to help those that are solid. So you've got maybe three, six months of reserves. So you're solid. And there are those that are in this church here that you're afflicted with the gift of affluence and you have lots of surplus, which you take seriously. How should I use that? On the 22nd of April, with our stewardship pastor, who is he in the room? He was in the first one, so he might not be here. Rob Allen. On the 22nd of April... He's doing a Navigating Finances God's Way course from 9.30 in the morning through to 4 o'clock. It'll be here in this building and it's all about how to use your money. It costs £15 for the day. If you can't afford that £15, you can come anyway. Just enroll at the reception. We're not going to mean because you can't afford it, you can't come. And he will go through very clearly to help you. This is what we're trying to do. Help you become a mature, fully devoted follower of Jesus and you have to navigate finances God's way. Come to it. Give a day in order to grow in that way. So we teach you. We model it. Which is where it gets a little bit embarrassing. Well, I'm not really embarrassed. Angie and I, we're rich. Like most of you. We're in the top 2% in the world. Like most of you. Some of us are in the one, top 1%. We've got a lot of money, really. So we decided we'll live on less so as we can give more. So I know this is... That was a trumpet. Blowing my own trumpet. If I lose my reward, I've just lost it. But I want you to know... and. and Someone, our stewardship pastor came to me and said, you know, if you want me to get up and say this, I can tell them this is true of you. We, I wanted to be the top giver monthly to our vision offering. We're not. We're second. I'm not the top earner. We're not the top earners, I'm sure. I don't do what some of you do. But we want to model, and it's meant that we've had to therefore reduce in some other areas. A few years ago, we did London to Paris bike ride. I'd been talking to a guy we know about having a new kitchen. When I got back, because my wife said we need to save money so as we can give more away, she, along with my children, had taken the four days that I was away to repaint all of our kitchen with this Annie Sloan paint, which is expensive. It meant it cost us about £100 to do our kitchen instead of 10000 to get a new one. And the money that we saved, guess where it went? To the vision of the local church. I like my car. 
But we decided we would keep our car longer. So this week, I just had a phone call from Lindis. Your cam belt is due, sir, for renewal. You've done so many miles or so many years, five years. I don't normally keep a car that long. But this one we have. And we're going to have to pay five, 500 pounds. But that's because we've tried to hold back at this point. Don't get me wrong. doesn't mean I'll never change my car. And if I drive up in another car, don't you dare say, oh, you said. No, that was a while back. And maybe someone's going to give me one. Who knows? Who knows? And so we have made some adjustments. I've been, as a confession, since our daughter Megan went to Hillsong, Australia, and we've become empty nesters. I love my wife. But since Meg went early January, internally, I have been discombobulated. It's the only word I can use. It affected me more than I knew it would to become an empty nester. No, no need for sympathy. It's all right. No need to get the violins out. But because of that, and oh, there are some advantages. I know. We can walk around naked all the time now if we want. <laughs> Those kind of things. We, we've got no one else in the house, just us. Oh, I'm not going to answer the question in your mind there. But we, we can do what we like. It's nice to have some freedom, more room. But I decided I'm going to decorate the whole house. I've got bored, to be honest. But I've done all upstairs, the kit, the bathroom, the hall stairs and landing. But the thought that went through my mind was, I'm going to do this as good as a professional. I'm here to confess to you today, no, I'm not. It's really not as good as some. We had a guy in the church here do some for us a while back who's, when you look at the surface and the way he finishes it, you touch it, so smooth and doesn't chip. This today my wife was hoovering and she chipped my paintwork. <laughs> I found it this morning and I said, who did this? Do you know why I chipped? Because I didn't prepare it long enough and good enough. But boy, it's bright, at least for a few weeks. And the reason we did that was we didn't want to pay someone. We wanted to use some skills, as limited as they are, to do the job myself. In other words, I'm saying to you, in order to be generous in one area, you may have to pull back in another. Oh, and that makes it sound like I'm suffering. Suffering? I haven't suffered one iota. I'm still rich. I'm still prosperous. I'm doing all right, guys. The car, I've got leather seats in my car, and in the winter, it's warm because I've got a heater that I can press. I'm doing okay. I don't want a sob story. Oh, oh, so you've really suffered. No, come on. I live in middle-class Cambridge, and I am. So I haven't suffered. But I made some adjustments. We did. And you might have other adjustments. But in order to be generous in one area. Now, I'll be honest with you. The 23% of the money we've given away, most of that goes to the local church. Why? Because I, I am caught with this. I believe in the power and potential of the local church. It is God's way of discipling people. It is a community of odds and sods and oddbods like we all are. The old version used to say in the authorized version, a peculiar people. Boy, are we peculiar. But we are the hope of the world. 
And I gave to the local church because I believe in the vision. And I know, oh God, do I know, 30 years of never having a proper job just doing this stuff. Do I know the foibles of the local church? But I still believe. Come on, musicians, come up, give, give the people hope. <laughs> I still believe in the power and potential of the church. Know this church's vision. And someone said this to me, and I know what they meant, so I'm not criticizing them. They said, this building is the pinnacle of your ministry. Oh, no. No, no. Please don't let this building be the pinnacle of my ministry. Let it be rather the Tanyas that get saved. Let it be that those that are dependent on life controlling drugs or alcohol, let it be the seeing them set free is the pinnacle. The children are raised in, in the house of God so that they don't grow up hating church but loving it. I am thrilled. I tell you this, if my kids would have grown up hating church, I'd have thought I failed. Oh, but they love it. I wish they'd stop talking about it sometimes. I just want to break. But they love it. We want to finish this building, but it's only for what it can do because people really matter. Can I be vulnerable with you for another moment? Say this. I want to finish this. We need £350,000 to finish this year. And then we need, we're £5,000 a month short every month on our vision offering going forward for paying the mortgage. We're just about to pull down the last £200,000 of the mortgage. We still haven't drawn it all down because we tried to use our money rather than the bank's money first. So we're just £200,000 very soon our full repayment of £19,000 a month and we're £5,000 a month short so we need more people to join us not just in tithes but in offering but let me be vulnerable and honest with you I want to finish this building now because I'm ready for the next bit I'm grateful thank God for Chris Webster who's headed up this project I've been in I know more about heating than I ever wanted to know I just don't want to know, really. Oh, we had to, didn't we? Paul, Paul's laughing at me. I am a heat. I, I know a half degree temperature change in this auditorium just by the top of my head. I shaved my head so as I could be a, 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 a thermometer in this place for you. I know more than I wanted to know. <laughs> so do you. <laughs> my wife's moaning on the front row. I want to reach and shape a generation with the message of cause of Christ. And this building helps. It helps. Honestly, it helps. Over this last year, as a church, listen to this. We gave to a church that we know in Preston, 8,000 pounds. They, they were looking to raise 80,000 pounds to move into their building. And they didn't know how to do it. So we gave them from here 10% because our need is so great, we can't stop giving. And a few weeks time, Rob, Alan and I are going to be there celebrating with them because they got in. That means the money you gave, you gave to Longton Community Church. 
because their witness has been held by our money. We gave to Russia, who's an environmental organization for, that, that we know of and work with. They needed a, uh, to buy their building and they were struggling to find the finances. And Rob Allen, our stewardship pastor said, hey, why don't we give them some money? When everyone says to me, why don't we give them some money? I find it very hard to say no. We've just given to them in the last few weeks when our need is great. 5,000 pounds to help them buy their office space to continue with their work of stewardship of the planet and to equip Christians in this way. We gave to Hope for Justice for their fundraising dinner. Not only contacts of people we had, but in order to feed in Gonville and Key's beautiful environment, the people that went that night, we paid for it. £1,816. Guess what? They raised 10 times more on that evening because we sponsored that. That's good use of money. We have given, I've got a whole list, I can't go through it. We've given to charities on anniversary. We gave to the, 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 the mayor, the local MP, Daniel Zeitner, who was bowled over. We didn't know what he was going to give it to. And he gave it to the Women's Refuge. We said, here's some money. Would you like to give it to a local charity? We invited him to the parliamentary prayer breakfast, which Angie and I go to every year in the Great Hall in Parliament there. Um, and he's, a, he's, an, he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And he looked at us afterwards. He says, I have never been to an event like this in my life. We invited him again for this year. Guess what? He wrote back, it would be my pleasure to come and be there again. Maybe that's because Andy, the thousand you gave, we gave to whatever you gave. I'm not saying it was a thousand. We gave to him. You were part of that. And you were part of that. And I could go on. The list includes individuals in need. Junction Church, who had a break-in and their PA was stolen. We gave them £500. Bible College students, Canon Andrew Wise, over £30,000. And that doesn't include the monthly giving away that we give to missionaries. It's not in that amount or to others that we work with. So we're looking again to say, look, we'll keep giving outside of ourselves because it's not all about self-consumption. It's about generosity. And then we'll rejoice together in the lives that are changed because generosity really matters. And this is what, and then we got around to saying where I've been vulnerable. I want to move on from the building project. I want to plant churches around this area because that's a more effective way of reaching out. It's in our heart to do that. We've already talked to the city council about the, the, the county council about the Horizon Centre opposite. Is it possible that maybe with other Christians in the city, we could buy that place and we could do more to help the poor and the disenfranchised? We had a meeting last week and it was mentioned even there with the Bishop of Ely, the Bishop of Huntington. I don't know what they call them, the, 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 the priest in charge here of the Russian Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, the Romanian Orthodox. We're, I've never been in a room with these guys before. We're all sitting there talking about how we can reach our generation. And in my mind's going, I wonder if we could do that together. So much more. There's more people in need we want to reach. There's more people we want to disciple. Because at the end of the day, generosity matters because people really matter. Would you stand with me? Would you pray about, oh, yeah, some of you are thinking, are you talking about this now because of the vision offering? Absolutely. Yes and no. No, because I always want to make disciples, whether there's a vision offering or not. And by the way, there'll be a vision offering until Jesus returns. 
because there's always a vision until Jesus returns. So we'll keep on going. So no, it's not just because of the vision offering, but yes, it is. Because I'd love us now. Wouldn't it be great if we could get 350,000? We need 350,000 this year to pay the builders, to pay our backpass bills, finish this building. And then we move on. My eyes are I can't yet allow myself some of the dreams that are there to let my, my, my emotions go that way because we've got to finish, we've got to finish. It'd be great if we could do that this year. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, we put our trust in you. Ultimately, you are the supplier of all things. Thank you, generous God, for giving Jesus. When we come to Easter next week, we thank you, generous God, for Jesus. Thank you, generous Jesus, for coming and giving your life. Thank you, generous Holy Spirit, for opening up our hearts and minds to this great grace.